Hello. How are you all doing? Thanks, guys. It's great. I've got some notes here. I know I'm talking really about pretty much everything I've been through, so I should really know it, but I've got some notes just so I don't forget some stuff. Because when I'm up here, believe it or not, I get a bit nervous. So I need these old school notes. I'm old school, but I'm not old. Get, getting on a wee bit. I'm getting more grey here. I'm kind of, what do you mean, really? Um, I'm probably one bad Turkish haircut away if we've been bald, but I'm at the stage where I've still got the comb over happening now, so it's, I'm hanging on to it. I remember saying to folk when, when I turned 30, I remember thinking, oh man, I'm dreading being 30. I remember telling folk when my dad was 30, thinking 30's old. So, um, it's great to see you all. Some of you have probably heard some of my story before. Um, I want to just share a wee bit, but I want to make pretty clear for the start, you know, why, why do we share testimony? And for me, I don't know what stage people are at. I know probably most of you looking around the room, but some few faces I don't. Testimony for me, and I want to make this clear right up the front, is just proof of what God can do for any one of us, regardless of where we've been or what we've done. Um, I've pretty much, you pick a sin in the Bible, you shot a murder, I've pretty much done every one of them. And God can, he can deliver you from that. And I just want to make that clear at the start. The whole purpose of these nights and when people come up and share their stories, it's, it's living proof of God's transforming power. And it really is. And I thank him for that. Um, so I want to just share a wee bit about my very first ever encounter with God. Um, God to me was somebody that when I was tucked in my bed on Christmas Eve, I would pray, God, please, can you give me a mountain bike for my Christmas? Please, can I get a Commodore 64? That's how old I am. Um, and that, that was, I always kind of believed there was something or somebody there, but that was the, about the extent of my relationship with God. It was somebody I prayed at, at Christmas Eve, and then I maybe thanked him on Christmas Day. I can't remember if I did or not, but that was literally as far as it got. So when I was about 15, um, I started to play guitar. Um, and I, I used to, it was a bedroom guitarist playing to thousands in my room and I thought this was great and was doing my mum and dad's head in just playing tapes at the time and pausing it and going back and playing them and playing them and playing them and anyway through doing that I found out that there was somebody that stayed in the same neighbourhood as me that was trying to start a band a guy called Adam McNaughton some people might know him um, Adam McNaughton used to come to this church years and years and years ago so he was a drummer and through actually my mum speaking to his mum she introduced me to him so we were going to take over the world of music, so this is, we met up with him. Now, I didn't know this at the time, but Adam was a Christian. Um, as I said, I had no knowledge of God or the Bible or anything at all. He never preached to me. And one day we were in my bedroom. Now, my bedroom at the time was half of my wall was just plastered with Guns N' Roses, ACDC, all these rock bands, and the other half was all motorbikes. And this was great because I was getting my amp kicked up, and he was bringing his drum kit up. It was brilliant. Like that. <laughs> Another, another fan. Um, so we were practicing one day, um, and Adam asked me a question. I can't. You know, it was about music, and it was about something we were doing. And I tried to answer him, and this is the weirdest thing to try and describe to anybody. But I couldn't answer what he'd asked me, and it was something to do with music. It was nothing to do with God or the Bible. He'd never preached to me. Um, and I tried to answer him. It was something about a song, and I just could not get the word Romans out of my head as I was trying to speak to him. I couldn't understand this. Um, so I tried to talk to him and kind of stuttering and blabbering. And he's like, 
You all right? And I said, yep, yeah, I'm fine. So we spoke a wee bit, then it came back into my head again. Couldn't answer, couldn't think about what he was asking me. All I could think about was this word, Romans. And I says to him, Adam, does the word Romans mean anything to you? He's like, what? What are you talking about? I says, Romans, is that something to do with your church? And he says, well, no, but Romans is a book in the Bible. Why'd you ask me that? And I was embarrassed. I says, oh, it doesn't matter. Forget it. He goes, no, why'd you ask? I said, no, no, it doesn't matter. So I moved on. And then literally two minutes later, playing again, couldn't play the instrument I was playing because I could not stop thinking the, word, the letters 12, sorry, numbers 12 and 2. This is bugging me. So all I could think about was Romans 12, 2. So I stopped what I was doing. I said, right, what does this Romans 12 and 2 mean? And he's like, it's a book in the Bible. Why are you asking me that? Nothing, nothing. And I managed to, I was just embarrassed, so I managed to skip over it. But that night, when Adam went away, I went through into my mum and dad's bedroom. I, know, I knew my mum had a Bible there, so I goes through, opens up my Bible. Romans, finds it, Romans 12 and 2. Now, I had no knowledge of the Bible, no knowledge of God or anything like that. My, my limited knowledge was for school was Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. That was it. I just remember it from the school. I opened up Romans 12 2 in the New King James Version and it read, do not conform yourself to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and straight away I knew exactly what that meant. And my heart was beating out of his chest and I thought, oh, God is really real, he really is. Oh, what, am I, what am I supposed to do now? So I told Adam about it the next time he was up and he said, wow, that's, he couldn't believe it. He was loving it. He thought this was great. And he, he said, right, do you believe in God? Yep, yep, yep. This is, you know, we would say this prayer and he kind of said what we call the sinner's prayer when you can accept Jesus as your personal saviour. Now I did that, not really knowing what I was doing. And I thought, but I just knew that I had that experience of Romans 12 too, because that's just, nobody had ever told me that. I'd never ever learnt it from anyone. That was a God moment because my heart was beating out his chest and I just knew this was real. So anyway, I started going along to some youth events. I wasn't quite ready to commit to coming to his church and stuff like that. So I thought, right, I'll come to the youth group. They pawned some cool things. They used to do basketball at Presswick Academy. I thought, yep, I'll go to that. And Bernard Pirelli, John Paul's dad, used to run the youth at the time. Now the, the youth group was about 30 people. And um, probably in those days when we come in, and I remember walking in through the incident at the back and going to the youth group, and I'm thinking, oh, yes, look at the women in here. This is brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. I could get used to this youth group. So, I mean, young guys, I know you, you, you just think you've got the coolest youth group right now. See, back in the day, I'll tell you, we had a, we had a great youth group. And um, so I used to go along to like camps and stuff like that. We would do things, and we used to play in a band. Um, when I was that age, we played um, with Scott, and John Paul played bass, MID, what a band for you. I remember they did, Scott. We were, we were taking over everything. We were at fire starters. We were playing at all these gigs, and... I mean, Scott can write a great song, but remember what kind of God do you see? Remember that song? I mean, we could rock out lyrics like, does he support John Major or Tony Blair? Does he watch his standards or like the bill? That's a couple. We could rock that out as well. We made it work. We made it, I don't know how, but we made it work. So um, the church for me at that age was great. It was, it was all about coming to the camps and the youth and, and we had a great time. Bernard's teaching was brilliant. You know, it was, it was really, really good. And I just felt, you know, this is, this is great. Still, part of me was a bit embarrassed to share this with some of the guys at school. But the more I was coming along to church, I was meeting other... I, I used to think, you know, what would my friends think if I told them I was coming here? But one thing you actually kind of... You're no longer learning who your real friends are. And, and at church, I met real friends. Um, and I really did, and I still, still have. 
um, some real friends. I've still got some good relationships with these guys that I met way, way back then. So, as I said, that was literally, I, I kind of drifted along church probably for the best part of three, four, five years even because I was doing stuff that I loved. I was playing in a band, Scott and the guys, we were going to all these events and stuff. And it kind of wore off, if I'm being honest. I was seeing, I was going to these events and I was seeing things that were happening to people, you know, I seen people getting prayed for and healed. I was seeing, you know, people speaking this language I hadn't a clue and when folk were, this was back in the day, you know, the, the Pentecostal movement and everybody touched you and you fell and it was just everywhere. And I was seeing all these things happening to everybody and I'm thinking, right, I want a wee bit of that, you know, I want that. I just, I mean, if we're all being honest, there's probably been some point in your life you've actually questioned God, are you real or is this some of this real? You know, if we're being honest, you get to a stage, or I certainly I did at one point, I'm thinking, right, these things are all great, they're great things, but I want that Romans 12 2 moment again, because what I experienced then, I'm not experiencing now. And I remember in August 1999, it was, um, I'll tell you why I know that in a wee while, but um, August 1999, part of the youth group, we went to some meeting. I don't even remember where the meeting was. I don't even remember how we got, well, we got there with your dad, John Paul, probably Bernard taking us, but it was a guest speaker from America. I was over and there was thousands and thousands of people at this conference. It was a youth conference. And I had made my mind up. I'd been kind of saying to God for, for months and months in the lead up to this, you know, see if you're really there show me again, you know, I want to, I want to experience something that, I, that I'm seeing these people experiencing for themselves, I, need, I really need to see it, and I've been praying that to myself for months, I've never really told anybody about it, and um, nothing was happening, I was going to meetings, not getting anything, I wasn't, I just was getting nothing from it, it was as though I was just shouting for something and I was getting nothing else, but watching everybody else around me get it, and I kind of took the huff with God a wee bit, um, and I'd said, I'd made my mind up that night, this was my last time, I was going to another event with youth. I said, I'll go. So we went along. And I watched this speaker. I mean, there's thousands of people in this room. And he was prophesying over people left, right, and center. And he had a great message. And I'm sitting there raging. I'm looking at Lynn Housen, who was, uh, she was a leader of um, Firestarters or YWAM. I can't even remember the name back in the day. But he prophesied the word over her. And I remember thinking, man, this is definitely real. Because I know Lynn Housen. I know the, the work that she does. This guy doesn't know her. He's never met her. He comes from America. I'm thinking, why can't I not just get that? So I'm sitting raging and I just said to myself, right, I'm never going back to church again. That's me, I'm finished. I don't believe it anymore, I'm finished. So the guy that was speaking tried to kind of finish a few times. He, he says, oh, and in closing, blah, 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 and in closing, so I'm raging, ready to go, and, and in closing, and everybody started to get, can I go, can I, he got his round of applause, everybody had a great night, and they started to leave. And as he started to leave, I turned round about, and then he came back on the microphone. And the minute he says, excuse me, can you just wait a minute? My heart was beating out my chest. And I just knew, out of thousands of people in this room, I knew he was going to speak to me. We were just about to go. He said, there's somebody in here tonight. And he was looking about the room. And I just knew he was going to point to me. And he pointed to me. And he said, you there, God wants to, me to tell you, you've got an incredible gift inside your music. He says he's going to use you. And it was everything I'd wanted to hear. It was so specific to what I was going through at the time. It was so exactly what I needed to hear. And he prophesied over me in August 1999. And that just changed everything for me. I thought, why did I ever doubt you? You know, and it brought me straight back into that place with him again. So 
as I said, when you get something like that from God, it's amazing, and it just changes everything. You come, you know, you're skipping through the doors, you're singing all the songs, you're loving it, nothing's going to bring you down because you know God's in it, but then life gets in the way again, and time comes on, and time comes on. Now, you can't live the rest of your Christian life, and I promise you got in August 1999. I found that out, I found that out, because I couldn't, I was trying to live off Romans 12 too, when I was 15, that, and from 15 to the age of 19, I was 19, when that prophesied, was prophesied on me, and I was trying to live off that there, and then live from there to this stage, and it just doesn't work. God wants you, and I still wasn't getting this. So, when I got to about the age of 23, um, things started to change a bit for me. I started playing music in pubs and clubs and jam nights and stuff like that. Um, I actually loved it. You know, we were going along and I was playing with different wedding bands, I was playing with other bands at open mic nights and meeting loads of different people. And I thought this was great. I'm actually getting a chance to play some of the stuff that I quite like, you know, kind of rocky stuff. And I thought, ah, I could get used to this. And then you start to kind of settle into that environment and stop coming to church just as much. I was still doing a bit of both. But gradually, I slipped more into going to the pubs and the clubs and the wedding bands and than I did playing in church. Um, and sadly, I kind of lost my way a wee bit. And I got involved. This is kind of the, the sort of main part of my story and sort of like where it took a big turn in my 20s. And um, through one of the open mic nights that I used to put on, I came across this band and they were looking for a guitar player. Um, and I agreed I would help them to do a competition. They were in, they'd entered some UK-wide competition and they were kind of struggling a wee bit and they said, listen, can you help us a wee bit? So I agreed to do that. Um, and it was great. Um, I went to a couple of competitions. We won a few things, just local things. That, um, I can't even remember the, the name of the local, it doesn't matter. Um, and, and, and the main one was, a, was, a, was one called Live and Unsigned, which was through the UK. And we'd applied for it and uh, we got to the semi-finals, quarter-finals and stuff. And we went to Newcastle, and we took a coach load of folk there, and we won it. And then we got to go to London to go to the finals. So this was a massive thing, and I thought, oh, this is, this is amazing. This is the band for me. And I kind of get caught up in the hype of it. And um, the band actually became, what I would say, like, not a successful band, but relatively successful when getting to that level. Um, and in all the things that came along with that. Now, when... I first joined the band, there was a couple of wee things. I could, one of the guys that was in the band was a wee bit, well, it was a big bit crazy, but um, he had a bit of an edge to him, and I quite liked it at first, and I thought, this is quite cool. I thought, there's just something about him, there was a presence about him he had, but I was never, ever a bad guy or anything like that when I was growing up. I was just, um, came from a good home, stuff like that. Enjoyed going to school, enjoyed my friends, enjoyed coming to church and stuff like that, so I was never really a bad guy. I got to know this guy in the band that I was with, and um, his, the, the reality is he used to be a debt collector for a gangster. Now, when I first joined him, there was some fights and stuff like you'd go to, I mean, we were at Newcastle and played this competition, and you would come out and folk would be drinking, it'd be a bit rowdy, and you'd be involved in a few fights and stuff like that, and that wasn't really an eye-opener for me, I came from Cumnock, so we kind of used to, so that was fine. <laughs> Um, but <laughs> some of the it started to get a wee bit more than that and um, what I found out was like it was becoming more about the violence and less about the music um, and we started to get a bit of a reputation and I'll be honest I probably 
liked that at first because I was kind of really nobody. I was just a wee guy that came to church and stuff, and now all of a sudden I'm running about with this guy, and he's got a reputation. Now, when when you're in, when you're involved in that sort of scenario, you, you, I don't realise this now, but your, your tolerance level starts to change because things that I would have found totally unacceptable when I ran a mile from, I didn't find. I just thought because it started getting more than violence, there was knives involved and things like that. And people were getting stabbed and people were getting slashed. And the first time I witnessed that and I was part of that, it was a big shock for me. I'm like, oh, no, I've had enough of that. I'm, I'm staying out. And then it would go back to the music and we'd have a, they would laugh about it. And this was just, this was their reality. Sad to say it, but this was just normality for them. This, it was like worlds apart from me being at church and having this prophecy over me, but I'd somehow found myself here. And even at that stage, never really thinking, Dan, what are you doing? Um, and your tolerance level for what you think is acceptable starts to, to, to expand. And I think, well, I'm not really the one stabbing them. I'm not really the one slashing them. I'm just going along. I'm all right. I'm still all right. And you get caught up in that. And, and sadly, I did. We get caught up in it a lot. And um, one, of, one of the... The, the, the people we worked really, really closely with was um, somebody who's um, really, really into my motorbikes. I love motorbikes. Always did from a young age. And what I found out was one of the guys who was really close with was the president of a motorcycle club. Now, this was another attraction for me. I just thought, oh, this is great. So not only am I, I'm starting to tolerate things like this, you know, the violence and stuff like that, I'm, I'm now involved in a motorbike gang. Now, I was never really really involved in it as some people are, but it had such an appeal to me, and I thought, oh, right, I want a part of this. So the band was still on the go, and all this thing was kind of in the background, but these things were starting to take over for me. It was more about, yeah, the band's a wee side, a side show, but let's get down to the motorbike club, let's see what they're doing here, let's, let's, let's get involved in this thing. And when you're trying to make it as a musician um, successfully, it costs a lot of money. Um, record labels don't give you money anymore. They're expecting a finished product, and they want you to come down there with a finished product. Now, at some point, we were, when we were at this stage, we were spending £3,000 on one song to try and get it recorded, and the money kept coming. I wasn't paying for £3,000. I didn't, wasn't paying it, but the money was there. And I was starting to ask questions. Like, I know how much this is costing. The, the, the fella that was producing one of our singles was the guy who did Wet Wet, uh, Wet, Wet, Wet Wet's album, Love Is All Around, and it was £3,000 a day. And we were there for weeks at a time. And I'm thinking, where's all this money coming from? Um, and then I started to know where the money was coming from. The, the, the guy in the band and the guy from the motorbike club were involved in loads and loads of different things. And, I was still holding down a job. I was um, I was working in sales at the time, a uh, place I've just actually left from on Friday there, but I was there for 13 years, and I was actually still working. I was showing up at my work on the Monday with suit and tie on, selling cars and doing whatever I was doing, and then at night I was on the phone, what's happening with this, what's happening with that? And what we were doing, or what they were doing, they was getting money through crime. And they were growing plants, um, and at one point, they were growing that many plants, they had three different houses, and were making £18,000 a month. And that's where the money was coming from. Um, and I was fine with that. I thought, that's a lot of money. 
and I'm not really involved. So what I started to do was I thought, well, do you know what? I'm not the guy in the front line here. One thing I can contribute is money. I could pay the rent in some of those houses and then take Mark up. So I thought, here's a way to make some money. So I did that as well. And we were making loads of money. Um, I wasn't seeing much of it, but I was still seeing some of it, but they were making loads and loads of money. And um, things were just spiraling out of control um, because with that comes even more violence. Houses went shut down, the police were raiding houses and folk were saying, oh, you're taking my territory and this. And there's a whole world of that goes on that I, even right now, I, I was exposed to some of it, but not all of it. The, stump, the stuff that I was exposed to was bad enough. Um, I found myself trapped in a house one night and went there just driving somebody there. And it's by the grace of God that I got out of that house that night because we were in that house as far as I was concerned, but we were just there to give them something and then come back. And when we get in that house, we get held in there with knives and swords. And I thought, oh, I'm so out of my depth here. What am I doing here? And I was terrified. And that was probably the first time I prayed, like, God, please let me get out of this house tonight. And obviously God did, and he stepped in. Um, that was a wake-up call for me, but I still was part of it. I still, I decided at that point, I'm coming away from this bike thing because it's just, it's taking me down roads I'm not comfortable on and I'm way, way out of my depth here and I was terrified. When you're in that scenario, there's a bit of bravado there at first. When you're there from a distance, you think this is quite great, you know, people are a bit scared of us when we go places and you think, or I thought that was quite cool at one point. What a lie, what a lie the devil is. It's just going to get you into a hell of a lot of bother and it did. And I thought, you know what, I don't, I don't want that level of it. So I kind of stepped back from that quite a bit and quite rapidly and um, came away from the bike thing. And actually, believe it or not, one of the, the people who actually talked me out of that was a guy who was an ex-Hells Angel. Um, and I'm still quite friendly with him today. Um, he taught, he actually, and I believe, you know, God will use people in your past, regardless of where you are and whatever situation you're at. And I believe that he did because I was committed to joining this bike, bike group. Now, when you're in a biker club, you need to work your way up the ranks a wee bit. You start as what they call a prospect, and you've got all the rubbish jobs. You have to go everywhere. You have to go and do this. I was told by this guy I wouldn't even need to do that, and then some folk need to do that for five and six years. I was told I could be what they call a patched member, and you get patched in. So I was bypassing all of that, I could have, and it was so appealing to me. And this guy who's ex-Hells Angel talked me out of that. He says, it's your life. They want everything from you. And some of the things that they, they ask you to do or, or they will make you do when you do that is just... It would make your toes curl, it really would. So thankfully I never did that and I started to come away from that. And then I remember one night I was at a gig. There was a bit of bother after the gig, as there usually was. And um, I come back home, it was about, I'd been back to the, the studio that we used to rehearse in and then I went back home, it was about three in the morning. Uh, sorry, before that, just before I got back home that night, I remember I'd found out that Natalie was pregnant. Um, and just from that moment on, I just thought, oh no, I don't mean because she was pregnant, I mean, oh no, what am I going to do? I mean, how have I ended up here? Loads of my friends had disowned me, my family had pretty much disowned me, and I always thought this was their problem. I thought, this, they're raging because I'm trying to make a go in my music. But they, they were disowned me because they saw what I was becoming, and I didn't see it. 
because I was right involved in the heart of it, and this was my normality now. It got to that stage. And um, I remember coming back to a house, our house that night. Natalie was in bed. It was about three in the morning. And I was thinking to myself, what am I going to do? How am I going to get out of this? How have I ended up here? What happens when I've got a baby? I don't want my son or my daughter growing up with a dad involved in this kind of stuff. How have I ended up here? And I was, I just felt absolutely worthless and hopeless. I just felt my situation was just, it was impossible because you don't get to just go into these sort of things and just walk out of them. And I'd seen a lot of things that I shouldn't have seen. And I was privy to a lot of things and you don't just get to walk away from them um, with some of these people that I was involved with. And yet here I was in my living room on my knees, crying, terrified. What am I going to do? And I prayed for the first time. I'd probably prayed in about five or six years. And I said, God, I know that you're real. And I have messed up. I said, I don't know how I can ever get out of this. I don't know how you'll ever forgive me of it. But I just pray if you're really, really there, I need a miracle. And that was the truth. I needed a miracle to get myself out of that situation. I really did. Um, and that night at three in the morning, crying in my living room, I stopped after my, my prayer, I went on to my phone and I looked on the app store for a Bible app. I thought, I need my Bible, I don't have a Bible. I'm going to download a Bible. I downloaded a Bible app and the first thing it was when it was on it was Psalm 91, which Pastor Jim read from this morning as well, coincidentally. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And I just thought, I need to get back to church. I need to... God's still there. I'm going to get this moment again. He's going to do it for me. And I was terrified. I was terrified about leaving the band. I was terrified about telling him because I thought, this guy's going to stab me. And that might sound ridiculous to some of you that leaving a band would end up getting you stabbed, but that was the reality. Um, I was too involved. And I thought, I'm going to get done in. I'm going to get really done in here. Only God's going to be able to help me here. So I remember saying to Natalie, I need to get back to church. She's probably delighted the time she heard me saying that because she was seeing what I was becoming and, and the person I was turning into as well because she'd been with me for a while. And so the next Sunday, the, the job I had at the time was in sales, so I, I started my work on a Sunday at 12 o'clock so I could literally only come in for half an hour. And I remember the first Sunday that I had off, I thought, I can go to church, yes, I can go there for a full Sunday. And I came in. You've ever had that moment where you just feel that the whole message was for you? Well, that was one of those Sundays when Pastor Jim was talking about you might believe that your situation is impossible and that you can't. He literally rattled off everything that I'd prayed for that night. And I was crying like a wee lassie. And I thought, God, please just help me again. Help me. I'll do whatever I need to do. I'm sorry, please help me. And I came out and I got prayed for. Now, I'm not going to say it was like that minute everything changed and it was, it was brilliant and I just, because there was still, although I was beginning to be free from that and I came away from the band and I did, mentally I wasn't free from it because I was tormented by the fact that, or the thought that they're still going to come and get me, they're still going to do this, I'm going to pass them in the street and I'm going to get done in. I, I, I couldn't escape that at all. And about a week after I came to church, Claire Thompson 
Um, this was the switching on the Presswick lights, and Claire will probably tell this story far better than I could, but it was amazing what God's doing in the background that you don't know the pieces that he puts in place for you at that time when you need them, and he'll do it every time, and it's not until you're through it and you see it looking back, you think, wow, wow, all these things, too many coincidences. Um, so Claire had, she was apparently, I forget this, I think this is the right story. She was at home one night that was meant to be the switching on the press lights and she wasn't going to go. She decided she wasn't going. And her and Craig, I don't know if they'd fell asleep or they were just relaxing or chilling out. And she decided, no, I'm not going that night. But she couldn't relax. And she got back up and she said to Craig, right, I think I'm going to go. I think I'm going to go to, are you sure? No, I can't relax, I'm going to go. So she went. And that night, she met my mum. And she says to my mum, how's Darren? And my mum says, I don't know. Um, and she says, ask him to come and see me. I want to pray for him. I've been praying for him, ask him to come and see me. Now, Claire Thompson's always been like a second mum to me. Fair, I was 14, 15, and when I met Daniel and Simon, I used to run about with them loads. So Claire was somebody that I could confide in. And when I heard that, my mum texts me. Claire Thompson says, you have to go and see her. And I just knew this is another thing from God. You know, Pastor Jim had said that message on the Sunday. This was like the following week. I thought, I'm going to see Claire Thompson. And she prayed with me. She spoke a wee bit. And she goes, tell me this. Are you mentally free from it? You know, God's taking you away from the physical side. But how are you mentally? And I'm, like, I'm terrified. And she said, God never ever does a half job. Do you think he's taking you away from something and only doing half the job? And straight away, I could just feel the anxiety and the panic and all that just calm down and we prayed, and it was brilliant. And from then on in, I began the journey, and it was a journey um, of getting back to where I needed to be. And all these things God took away from me, bit at a time, bit at a time. When I was working in sales, I needed another job because I thought I need to be in church, I need to be fed, I need to hear the word of God, I need to get back where I need to be. God, I can't do this if I'm working every Sunday at 12 o'clock. So I prayed only a couple of weeks back at church and I prayed, God, do something for us. And I went into my boss on Sunday and I says to him, just to let you know, I'm going to have to give you my notice. He says, what for? Have you get something else? I says, no, I don't. I says, but I can't work Sundays anymore. I can't work Saturdays and Sundays. So I started going back to church and I just can't work Sundays anymore. He says, right, leave it with me. And he went away and he came back the next day. He says, do you want your old job back? My old job was still a manager's job. I was earning more money than I was earning doing that one. And it was less hours. And I said, but there's somebody doing that job. We've got something else for him. Is your job, your job's there if you want it. I thought, God, fantastic. That was just the start of many. I've wrote down a couple of wee things that happened there because it was literally it was one after the other. It just seemed to be every week. God, he's just amazing. He's phenomenal. And the stuff that I was going through and all the the kind of the mental side of things really, really knocked it out of me because I was never a fearful person. I was never scared of much until after that. I was terrified with stuff for a long while after that and it absolutely robs you everything it robs you happiness it robs you everything everything because you're not the same person and living with fear 
is horrible and I needed God to get rid of that for me and gradually it happened and see when I look back and here's a brilliant story when I was about 12 years old and I told you my bedroom was plastered with Harley Davidson's and rock music I remember about must have been about 12 years old there was a guy pulled up outside my house one day in Harley Davidson I thought, this is phenomenal. I'm going down to see this bike. I'm going to down to see it. And the guy came out and he went down to the flat that was, on, was uh, below us. He was in speaking to him. And I just stood outside for about half an hour looking at this guy's bike. I thought, oh, this is the coolest thing in the world. I love this bike. Love it. And the guy came back out. He's all right, wee man. And talking away to me, this biker guy. Ah, great, great. I love your motorbike. And he says, all oh, right, next time I'm back, I'm great. The next time I see you again, I'll give you a shot in it. I says, oh, will you, will you? Aye, I will. The next time I'm back up, I'll give you a shot on that motorbike. First time I came to New Life was about 10 years after that. And the guy was Clackmuir, who had a Harley Davidson. And he had it out in that car park. And I recognised him 10 years later. And I went and said to him, do you remember getting into a guy, Derek Butler, below me? He's like, oh, you're the wee guy that was looking at my motorbike. Do you want a shot? Ten years later, that's the hand of God. That is, that, 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 that's, that's God moving people and doing things. God's an awesome God. He's got your absolute best interest at heart. He's, he wants to bless you with these things, and that's just one of many. The first time I've ever seen Natalie, that's a wee bit soppy, this one. I was playing guitar, sitting up in that corner. And the youth group had been there for ages, and Natalie was fairly new to it. And I remember she came in and she walked up and she sat up the back there. And I remember sitting up there and thinking, Oh, who's this? I'm looking at her. Well, I actually really, really like her. She's, I really like her. And just to myself, sitting in there, I'm like, God, I pray that I get to go. Huh? <laughs> That's the truth. I actually did. I sat there up there and prayed it. And then I said, Actually, she's really, 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 really hot. Actually, God, I hope she's my wife one day. About 15 years later, Natalie was in Canada. I was here. Natalie's now my wife. We've got two gorgeous young kids. When I changed job and I got my other job back, we were selling our house. Because this was actually probably mainly stemmed by my fear that these people knew where I stayed at the time. Now, a lot of this is probably not true. Well, it's not true because God was in control of it from the start. But in my mind, this was a possibility. So we thought, right, let's move. We're going to move house. That wasn't the only reason, but it was probably one of the main driving factors for me. So we put the house up for sale and tried to sell it. Couldn't sell it. It was up for ages and ages and ages. And we went and saw a couple of houses that we really liked. One, we loved it. And we thought, I'm not going to sell it. Everybody came to see it in week one. And then it was about six weeks, seven weeks, or eight weeks. It was months and months later. Nothing. And the estate agent eventually came to us and said, look, you're going to have to just take a lot less money for it. Because people are put off by the fact that there's a bus comes by right at your front door. And it was, it was right on a main road. And they said, it's because it's, there's a bus route there. It's putting a lot of people off it. And there's no parking. I'm like, God, please, you've done all these things. You can do this. This is nothing for you. So we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And at the last minute, 
we got three offers for the house and it went to a closing date, went from having none to going to a closing date. And somebody from Aberdeen who had never even viewed the house paid way more than it was worth. And the reason they wanted the house was because the person they were buying it for was elderly and he needed the bus and our house was the bus route. So there you go. What other people might discard, God uses. Financially, God's been there for us through all this as well. And I remember once, I've probably told a few of you this before, but we were in church and we were down to our last 50 quid. I'm not saying we were, we're absolutely skint. We had nothing in the cupboards, but we're never going to go hungry. But we were really struggling financially. And we came to church. And I remember me and Natalie talking about it. I remember her holding the money. Before we came to church, she's like, what am I doing with this money? And we put it in the offering. She's like, we've got nothing. I don't know what... what I don't know when we were next getting paid. Um, and we were really, really up against it. <laughs> what do you think? And we we're kind of looking, well, we, we're not. I says, we need to put it in the offering. Put it in the offering. We're just going to have to trust God with us. Now, you'd think, given that he's just showed me all of these things before, it would be no bother. I'd be like, I fire it in there. <laughs> no, I wasn't. I was still, I put it in. I keep a tenner. But <laughs> I thought, put it, put it in. So we came, we put it into the offering. That night when we get back home, we had a few cards about our new house and stuff. Uh, congratulations on your new house and stuff. And we got a cheque for £5,000. God's in every single detail. Every single detail. Now, I don't want anybody to think that the minute you become a Christian, it's plain sailing. Because it's not. I've probably had most of my struggles being a Christian because... You're aware of things a lot more. Um, I'm so grateful for what God's brought me through. And at the time I'm in them, I was crying out, thinking, God, take me out of this, take me out of this. I, need, I can't cope, take me out. God will not take you out of anything. He'll bring you through things because there's lessons to be learned and there was lessons I needed to learn, loads and loads of lessons. And it's not until you're further down the line you look back and you see what those lessons were. Just recently I've been kind of wrestling a wee bit of, of, of changing jobs. And I'm 39, 40 this year. <laughs> I thought saying 30 was bad. I'm 40 this year, but God's still doing new things. I start a new job a week on Monday, working for the police. <laughs> Gilbert's raging, because I'm no longer working them. I'll miss you as well, don't worry. Um, but that process just recently there now, I come through a wee bit and I had to kind of give up something. I like being in control of things. I like to know what I'm doing, when I'm doing it. I like to know what the outcome is. And for a wee while there, I wasn't in control of it because I was still waiting in my final confirmation and I had to tell my work I was handing in my notice before I knew for a fact I had something. And I did not like that. And I started to pray and I read my Bible. And I've all heard this the sermon about when Jesus gets in the boat and they're going to the other side and the storm comes. I was reading that and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know it's a storm, God. I know I need to trust you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Trying to believe it. Trying to speak it over my life. So I went to my bed and I put on YouTube and I listened to a message. What was the message about? Jesus in the storm. And I thought, all oh, right, okay, maybe I need to pay a wee bit more attention to this here. The next day, I get a message from Harry Deary. The whole sermon of Jesus in the boat and the storm 
came to church on Sunday and Pastor, is it Ian Watson, is it? Spoke about the boat and Jesus, I'm not right, okay, I get it. I get it, you're in control. I know, I know, I know. I'm giving it up to you. So, see if you're a Christian and you've been with God for a while, I want to encourage you. The disciples, and these, I learned a lot of lessons in that whole passage. And one of the things I took from it was the disciples had just been with Jesus preaching to people. And he said, right, let's go, let's get in the boat, we're going to the other side. They were right bang in the middle of God's will. You couldn't get any more in God's will. They were with Jesus. He said, get in the boat, they got in the boat, we're going to the other side. They are bang in the center of where God wanted them to be. Yet, a couple of minutes later, they're in a storm. When you're a Christian, you're going to go through storms. That's just a fact. It's what you do when you're in them. Now, if the disciples who were as close to Jesus got terrified, we've got a pretty good reason. We've got a pretty good excuse as well. We're going to get terrified being in them as well. But one of the things I learned, the reason they did that, or the reason that happened was, God, Jesus has made them a promise. He said, we're going to the other side. He got in the boat. He said, we're going to the other side. But they let the problem override the promise. And how often do we do that? God, yeah, I know you're there, but are you really the God of this, this bill? I know you're the God that can save me, but can you pay this bill for me? Can you get this finance? I know you're the God that heals people, but God, can you get me through college? Can you get me through this struggle? And we do it all the time. We let the problem override the promise, and we get caught up in it. So it's possible to be in the center of God's will and still go through a storm. But what we need to realize is get back into God's word. His promise is there. His promise still stands. Great is thy faithfulness. We sung it and it is fact. But we let our problem override the promise sometimes and we need to then get even closer to him than we've ever been before. And Jesus is there with them. He was going through it with them. I even said to him, have you no faith? It's a bit harsh, right enough, because they're in a... I mean, these guys are fishermen. They're used to boats, they're used to storms, they're used to all that. It must have been pretty bad for them to wake them up and say, oh, wait a minute, we're terrified here. But God's promise still stands. He was taking them to the other side. And we need to remember that. I just want to kind of close. Scott, if the band want to come up. I just want to encourage you, in whatever stage you're at in your life, whatever you've been through, whatever you're going through, when we moved into our new house... We're not great gardeners, and, I remember, and our next door neighbours are. I mean, their garden is lovely. It's phenomenal. There's flowers everywhere. It's just amazing colours. It looks amazing. Across from our house, we've got a wee car park, and this wee car park had weeds and everything going through the, the, the slabs and stuff, and it was a bit of a mess. And looking at it next to our next door neighbours, I'm thinking, this looks terrible. We better do something about this. So we start getting out, we're ripping out all these weeds, we're trying to brush up all the, the stones and clean up the slabs a wee bit in this, and it's just a car park space. And I'm going to say it was Natalie, I think it was. We're next door neighbours, fence, there's a wee boundary fence there, and we were cleaning up all the weeds, so we thought, let's rip the weeds out of there as well. So we did, we ripped them all up and cleaned it all up, and we thought that was great. The next day we got a raging that we'd just pulled out his hedge that they'd planted for months and they'd been trying to get up 
So, yeah, that was a great introduction to the neighbours. <laughs> Hi there, we're your neighbours. Was that a hedge? So, but do you know something? We get one great with our neighbours now. But what we thought was a weed, Kate next door knew what it was going to become. It looked like a weed to us, and all it, need, all it needed from Kate was a bit of pruning. She was pruning that for the bloom that it was going to be, and that hedge next door to us now started to flower a couple of years later, and it looks great, these nice flowers coming between it. But I just want to encourage you, whatever stage you're at in your life, God might be pruning you for something, and it might not look like it, it might not look like the finished article just now, you might be going through the storm on the boat and you think, why am I going through this? Why, why am I suffering this? Why am I going through it? God sees the big picture. He sees the promise, not the problem. The problem's there to teach us a lesson. And quite often when we have problems, that's when we get closest to him. Because you're all out of options. And he wants you there. He wants, he wants you to that place where he's your only option. And he can prove to you just how much he's going to come through for you. Look at that from the age of 12 when Clark's Harley-Davidson that day and I look back at all these things another thing I missed out it's brilliant as well when we were moving house the prophecy that I got over my life in 1999 I'd forgot about it I knew about it because it was kind of there but I forgot about all the words one of the boxes we moved had an old bible in it and I took the bible out and I thought oh there's an old bible took it out and the prophecy Bernard Pirelli typed out for me fell out was typed out for me, what he'd spoke over my life all those years and years ago. So, I just want to encourage you. God might be pruning you for something. You might be in a problem, you might be in a storm. It's definitely, definitely, it's a stage, it's not the destination. It's not the promise. So, I encourage you now, the things he's brought me through, the things he's delivered me from, if he can do it for me, he can do it for absolutely anybody. He just wants you to trust him in the storm and go close to him. Get my walk with God is never, I'm not saying it's perfect, it's far from perfect, but it's better now than it's ever been because I've learned to trust them in the storms. They're no easy. Storms are storms. When they happen, they're never great. Because when you're in them, you're in them. But I've learned that he's brought me through so many of them and he continually will. And he's an amazing, amazing God. There's nothing that you've done that he can't fix. He'll take whatever your problems have been and he'll use them. He'll use them for his glory and he'll He's just phenomenal. And I can't speak enough about what he's done for me. I really can't. And he's amazing. So if anybody's got any questions or anything like that and they want to know anything more about it, please speak to one of the guys. Speak to Pastor. Speak to me. There's a connection point at the back. Please go and find out because whatever you're going through, trust me, God's in it with you. And he's got you. He's 100% got you. Sometimes we look at God as guy that's there by a rule book, that's not what God's about, he's in an absolute relentless pursuit for a relationship with you, and just get that image in your head, that's all he wants, that's all he wants doesn't matter about the stuff, he'll meet you where you're at so I just encourage you just now seek him whatever stage you're at, just ask him, I guarantee he'll show up, he showed up for me in all those times, he'll show up for you, I promise you